particular the outro you mean yeah the outro was was great i did really well i'm gonna go Hello and welcome to Model View Conversation, America's premier tech education podcast. My name is Ben Golby. And I'm Brian Gates. Please be sure to check us out at our website at mvc.fm for an archive of our shows where you can listen right on the page, access the show notes, and find out how to subscribe. We'd also love to hear your feedback, which you can provide by rating and reviewing us on iTunes or tweeting us at MVC Podcast. Today we're continuing our discussion of uh, applying and, and interviewing and getting hired at perhaps your first or second developer job. And today's focus is going to be all about applying and uh, resumes. So that very first couple of steps where you're kind of figuring out what your story is as a developer, and then you're trying to share that with people who might want to hire you. Yeah, these things which might be your first steps, and I'll argue that as much as possible, you should stay away from these things entirely. (laughs) Good advice. Uh, So with that in mind, um, we do need to maybe give them some advice about doing at least the bare minimum here. Um, So as far as resumes... It's kind of a big topic. You probably, if you search for for these kinds of things on the internet, especially if you're a junior dev and you're trying to get some advice, you'll probably see all kinds of advice about how to build your resume and what to include and what not to include and what order to put it in. And there's all this sort of minutia about um, exactly how you should build this document and how, you know, what it should look like and how you should share it. And I think Brian and I probably have somewhat similar ideas about it, maybe some diverging ones. So why don't we start with you, Brian? Um, what does your resume look like and, and kind of how has it evolved over the over the years as you've been a developer? Oh, man, I don't even know what my resume looks like right now. I, I think I have one. I know I've I've submitted one to organizations in the past, and um, it's as plain as possible, frankly. It's uh, the way I, I made it. I remember I have a markdown document that gets um, transferred into a PDF HTML thing. And that's enough for me. I don't care about fonts and coloring and lettering and that kind of stuff. It's uh, here are the last few positions I've had and some stuff I did at each of them. The end. Yeah, I mean, I think it can certainly be as concise as that, right? Doesn't it just? It's trying to tell the story of your professional career, and that can be very no frills if that's what you want. Um, I've seen things like that. I've seen things that are, you know, very plain and straight to the point. And I've seen um, resumes that are really complicated and flowery and have all yeah. kinds of design elements and are, uh, you know, very, um, uh, very much a, a piece of design unto itself. Um, in addition to the content that it contains, I would say that probably for me, my resume is it's it's more um, designed than what you just described. But it's oh yeah, it's it's not um, it's not. Any, it, I don't think it's over the top, personally. Uh, what I did was I created um, a single-page resume. So that's some, that's kind of our p- first piece of advice, Is which probably won't be that difficult for you to do when you start because you're not going to have a lot of experience to put on there anyway. But even as you kind of progress, it's best to keep it very short because uh, m- recent research shows that um, most people, most employers, hiring managers, recruiters, only really take a look at your resume for about 30 to 60 seconds before they move on. So that's the amount of time you have to convince them to not throw your resume in the garbage, basically, to continue to consider you. Um, so it needs to be very short and to the point. Um, for me, I've got basically a sentence or two per job. Um, and I think I have, I don't know, seven or eight jobs listed on there. Um, and so 
because there's actually quite a few, I ended up even shrinking those descriptions down, you know, even more because I needed the room to be able to put the various jobs on there that I wanted to showcase. Uh, but a couple, uh, one or two sentences, uh, the name, the years I worked there, and the position that I held in that. Um, and then I have my education. I've got my uh, organizational participation. So like I run the local meetup here in Orlando for iOS. So I, I have that on there. Um, and then I have, I found something that I thought was kind of cool. I found uh, like a list of basically kind of top skills. And I put those in there and they are one or two words each. There's probably maybe, I don't know, 10 of them. Um, and basically what that is, is that's just a way to keyword spam <laughs> the internet. So these documents are going to be online. They're going to be read in by various systems. Um, and it's kind of sad, but it is true that uh, a lot of this stuff's going to have its first round of um, of discriminating which one they want to look at and which one they don't by a computer. Um, and so having those keywords on there, it, it helps hopefully my goal there is to kind of use a little bit of like resume SEO and try and make my resume seem a little more relevant by having the keywords that will be picked up by those algorithms. And hopefully that will get my resume in front of a human being. I think it's important when thinking about resumes to try to put yourself in the mind of imagining the person on the other side of the table, the hiring manager or recruiter or whoever who's looking at this thing and asking yourself, what does that person want to get out of the resume? Or even take a, a step further back than that and ask, why do resumes exist in the first place? Why were these documents initially created? And I think the reason they started is because it was a way to present information about a job applicant in a time when you could not get information about a person really any other way, unless they were some kind of celebrity or famous person, or you already knew the person. And we're not living in that era anymore. There are a lot of other ways you can find out about people. And especially for developers, there's a lot of much better, more comprehensive and informative ways that you can find out about their work, which is part of the reason why I think that resumes are kind of on their way out. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I think um, it's what I did with my resume was I, I created it because that's what a lot of people want to see. Um, but at the same time, I made sure to do things like putting um easily sort of an easily typable version of my various links on there so i have my a link to my website i have a link to my linkedin um and in the digital version of this if they've printed it out then obviously that's they're going to just look at it as just plain text but if they're looking at it in a digital format uh, as a pdf on their computer um these are also all clickable right so you can click on the links and you can go directly to my website or to my linkedin or whatever um, and those are going to be places that are going to be much more useful for you um, as a hiring manager or a recruiter or whatever to find out more about me, what my deal is. You know, my personal website has things like blog posts and stuff like that on there. LinkedIn has essentially the same information, but maybe in a little bit different format and also in a way where you can kind of click around and see things. And then uh, what was the last one? <laughs> oh, uh, GitHub. I didn't mention it, but but GitHub. So I'd also have GitHub on there. In, in, in my case, right, as a developer, it's very important to show uh, that not only do I know how to talk about programming, but I also can actually do it. So that's perhaps even more important, right, especially as, as developers compared to other professions. So um, you, you need to be able to show that. And, and where better to do that than in a place where you're going to put hopefully you've got a whole bunch of code up there even if it's just things like homework assignments and whatever you need to have code on your github so that you can show that this is work that i've done and it's stuff that you can download and play with 
Right. And when we say a, a GitHub account, one, we don't necessarily mean to tie you into a particular corporate platform, although that is kind of the industry standard, but also don't think that we mean that you have to have a lot of big open source project contributions or stuff like that, because we know starting out that you probably won't, and neither one of us do, frankly. But you can have, like Ben said, uh, homework assignments that you've completed, projects you've worked on in in your own time, uh, if you have any stuff that you've done on a professional or, or freelance basis where you're allowed to post that stuff in a publicly accessible venue, that's great too. Uh, also, you can have alternatives to CodePen, like you can have um, a blog with code snippets in there, or you can have a CodePen account and have little um, complete single page projects. So long as you can show people examples of your work, I think that's the main thing. Yeah, CodePen is a great place to go um, if you are a web developer because you can actually have HTML, CSS, and JavaScript uh, little snippets of code, and you can combine them together, and they become this little cool, little runnable, interactive thing in CodePen. If you're not a web developer, if you're an iOS developer, or you, you build some kind of other software, something else you can do is, is uh, as an example, again, you don't have to use GitHub. It tends to be kind of the standard, but there's other alternatives. One of the things that's pretty cool about GitHub is they have this thing called GISs, and GISs are basically just a single file. It can actually be more than one, but typically it's just a single file um, of source code. And it's a way, it's almost like a scratch pad, a way for you to have maybe a single function or an algorithm or something you've been working on um, that you can post publicly to share with others. And perhaps what you might do is you figure out some small piece of code that helps you with a larger thing that you're working on and maybe you don't want to or you can't share that larger thing. Take that piece and make it a gist and then throw it up on, you know, if you have a blog, if you have a website, which we would heavily encourage you to do something like that because, again, it just gives you another place on the web that you can showcase your own skills and, and, and build your own developer story that you can then share with, you know, employers and stuff. But uh, maybe you throw up a little blog post and say, hey, I, I figured out this this cool little thing it's it's kind of small but it really helped me out and you could explain how that works and then just post a link to that gist and you've created this connection between your github and your blog and it just shows again that you are connected and you are um you know you're actively continuing to learn even after your training is over something that's very important for um, employers in particular for hiring juniors is they want to see that constant growth i mean they want to see it from everyone even people who are seniors but especially yeah especially juniors and likewise, Ben pointed out that CodePen is a really a front-end web kind of platform. If you're in the mobile space, you can also bundle up apps and submit them to the the Google. I forget what the Google thing name is. Google but Play. The Google Play, uh, or or to the um, the App Store. The App Store. There we go. I was blanking on those. And. You can do those despite having store in the name. It's not something that you have to be selling or part of a company from. You can just make your project and then make it available to the world and prove to people in the mobile space that you can do that. Right. Yeah, it's, it's definitely it's critical to have a presence uh, somewhere. So if you're a web developer, you likely want to have something online uh, that you built, right? A web application or a website that you built that you can say, "Go here, check this out. This is my work. I can sh I can show it to you. I can show you the the in you know the innards of it, and I can explain the code and stuff like that." If you're a web developer, or sorry, if you're a mobile developer, um, just like Brian said, you want to have something in the store. It is um, if you're an Android developer, you, that's on Google Play. If you're if you're iOS, then it'd be the App Store. Um, for iOS in particular, it does cost money. It's a hundred dollars a year to be a member of, oh, the, wow. of, the, of the developer. Uh, the Apple developer um, 
group basically to, to be able to publish on the app store. Um, and that's why they have a capitalization of over a trillion dollars. <laughs> right. But in the, in the, if you're thinking about it, I realize a hundred dollars is not a small amount of money, but in, in the grand scheme of things, um, if you are pursuing a, a career as a mobile developer, you should be able to, you know, make good money with that. And that think of that as an investment, um, that hundred dollars, you pay it once a year, um, and then you have the ability to put apps in the store. Those stores, those apps can be free or they can be paid. They can be also free with in-app purchase, kind of whatever you want. But you really do want to have a way to showcase your skills, something that I've seen over and over and over and over again on mobile applications for jobs is that basically it's either in the nice to have or they, they actually go you know f- full on and they, and they put in the required section. Basically, we want to see something published. We want to see an, at least one app in the app store that you – have your name attached to that you can then showcase that you've kind of gotten over that hurdle um, of being able to publish. Because it's one thing to go to a website and do some tutorials and maybe have a couple apps on your computer that run the simulator, but it's something else to kind of take that next step and become a published um, app developer for mobile anyway. Um, so very important to have that. And even if it's something small and, and not that consequential in the grand scheme of things, it just shows, it, it kind of separates you from the rest and says, yeah, anybody can go do a tutorial, but I have actually gotten enough skill and training that I can I can take the soup to nuts. I can go all the way to putting uh, an app in the store and publish it and manage that that presence. And you know, I have I have that level of professionalism that I can bring to your company, right? And I can help you out because for mobile in particular, a lot of times you'll be the first or maybe a, a member of a very small team of people who are doing that, and they might might not, might not even have. The expertise to publish they don't know how to do that so if you can showcase that you have that skill again it just puts you right over the the edge and shows that you are more professional and are more skilled than others right having code available online and projects available apps available is a way of differentiating you from possible competition in a very meaningful way because it's directly tied to the work that you're going to be doing And that's something that is a lot harder to communicate in a typical resume for a variety of reasons. For one, um, you just, you can show more information in those other formats. Uh, For another, in a resume, you'll often have things that are hard to relate to. Uh, Job titles might be sort of vague and non-standard, and it's difficult to tell from reading if you're something like a customer satisfaction engineer. Well, what exactly does that mean? Are you vice president of having a good time while coding? Well, what rock star, right, is one thing that used to be uh, Chief software ninja or something, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, that the person reading the resume trying to get information about you sort of can't. They see words, but they don't know the meaning behind them. So that's um, a large part of why I think resumes are a second tier alternative at this point compared to the other things we've said so far. But um, we are talking about resumes because for a lot of the world, they are still the standard, although I think they're on their way out. And so it's worthwhile to talk about some do's and don'ts. And I think, I think it's, again, it's fair to say that they're necessary, but not sufficient, right? Right. They're probably often not always necessary, but often necessary. And yeah. so it's it's worthwhile knowing uh what you need to do. And I think resumes are kind of like, um, I compare it to golf a little bit. When you're playing golf, you know, you get up to the tee 
and you see the hole and it's hundreds of yards away. And what you do not want to do is think, how can I put this ball into the hole with one exactly perfect, wonderful stroke? What you do want to think about is, how can I avoid hitting myself in the foot or knocking this thing into the water? Because golf is a thing where you just want to avoid mistakes. Or like driving. If you're going to the supermarket, you don't want to think about how can I make this the absolute fastest trip humanly possible? <laughs> and, you know, where can I find maybe an opening on the sidewalk to take my Corolla on to? Or, you know, maybe can I beat that train this time? That's not the way you want to approach driving. You want to think about defensive driving. And again, how can I avoid making mistakes? And resumes are the same way. You don't want to think about how can I make this the most beautifully crafted, perfect, awe-inspiring resume that will instantly get me the job. You want to think about how can I avoid making mistakes so that mine doesn't get thrown away. Because even if you do have the most beautiful, best resume that's ever been conceived of, you're going to get between 30 and 60 seconds of attention from any given person. So are they going to care about that? No. They are, they are however, going to care if you've if you spelled things poorly, if you don't have good, you know, if the grammar isn't great, if you have, if it's very, it's so poorly formatted that it's hard to read or the numbers, you know, the dates are mixed up with the descriptions and there's just, it's just very jumbled and hard to understand. Um, that will be something that they will notice and yep. they will then throw your resume in the garbage because they're like, well, I have a stack of these and at this point, my my discriminating factors here are pretty minimal, right? It's it, it, it's basically apples to apples for all of these. So it's like, well, uh, this one is poorly. This one has a bunch of spelling errors, or it's formatted poorly in the garbage. I, I'm sure I can find a better one in this stack. So what you what like what Brian said, you what you, what you want to do is you want to simply do everything right to the point that that it's not. It, you're, you want to be noticed, but not noticed for the for the wrong things. Yeah, the mindset that people have when they're looking over resumes is not like, "Hey, I'm going to a film festival. I get to read a bunch of resumes today." It's more something that you have to get through for the person reading the resumes. Every bit as much for the person writing them. And they're not in a good frame of mind. They're not looking for wonderfulness. They're looking to make the big pile of resumes into a small pile of resumes. And the way they do that is by finding things that are wrong with some of the resumes. So you want to not have things wrong. And like Ben said, there one category of mistakes that you can make is to have spelling errors or um, thing dates that are in different formats or generally things that you can avoid just by being careful. And then another category of mistakes are things that you can do while reaching for greatness and missing. Same way that if you're out driving to the supermarket, one way that you can cause yourself accidents is to try to get there really, really, really fast and try to dodge the train. A way that you can make a mistake in a resume is to try to make it the greatest resume anyone has ever seen and come up with some brilliant new spin where if the person reading it doesn't agree that that's a brilliant new spin, that'll just be an easy way to discard. Right. Yeah. For example, maybe you've you've done no research and know nothing about color theory, and yet you decide that you're going to you're going to pick six different colors right. to use for your title for your titles, and for you're going to have these interesting bars and shapes to kind of differentiate different parts of it, and you've created this mishmash of of the most ugly rainbow you can imagine. And you submit it, and they're gonna they're gonna open it on their computer and look at it. Okay, now my eyes hurt. Right, I haven't even looked at the at the text yet, but I'm immediately assaulted by this 
by this crazy set of colors in the tr- in the trash, right? It, because you have tried to make yourself unique, but you didn't. But it's it's hard to do that, and so if you if you miss, um, you know, you can end up easily getting discounted. Now, we're, what we're not saying is that you should have necessarily a type, you know, get a typewriter and and write up in simple black courier font and have it all run together and be the most boring thing ever. We don't necessarily we're saying that, but what we are saying is is kind of play to your strengths, know what you're good at, and know what you're not good at, um, and. Uh, Get the get the point across. Get the information that you need conveyed in a in a timely and efficient manner. Um, but don't uh, don't spend too much time on the frills because, like we said, for the most part, it doesn't matter because the attention span of any given person is going to be less than a minute. Yeah, I'm okay with simple courier font for the record. <laughs> yeah, and that's fine. I mean, it's it 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 just depends on uh, really kind of what what Brian said. It depends on the sort of the personality of the person looking at it. Personally, I am. I like good design and I try to do well with that. Um, and so if I see a really, really boring resume, I'm already going to feel kind of bored by this person without even reading any of the text. And if it also happens to be six or seven pages long and it's got spelling mistakes and whatever, then pretty soon I'm like, okay, well, we're done. And I've, and I've seen that. We, we recently did some hiring probably a few months ago and I went through several resumes and there was there were several that were – I'm not kidding. Six to seven pages long. Wow! And it's just like, and where each job takes up two thirds of a page, right? Each of their job mm-hmm. in their in job mm-hmm. history, and it's just like, mm-hmm. and it's a bunch of jargon that was specific to that domain, and I just don't understand what they're talking about. And it didn't also it it also didn't really convey their mobile development chops either. So it's a bunch of industry jargon with no real clear grasp of the technical parts of mobile development and it was really long and it was kind of poorly formatted so uh, you know again really easy way to just discount that and say next now you said that boring was a part of why you would throw away some of these resumes what if you had something that was impeccably spelled and uh, formatted consistently although nothing really eye-catching and it was the bog standard times new roman or whatever word gives you these days and there wasn't anything really remarkably great about it but no glaring errors would that be something that would make the cut or no yeah so i guess what i should say is is to kind of revise my own personal um, methodology for deciding on whether to continue with the resume or not is i kind of have like a basic three strikes rule so um, you know, spelling, grammar, formatting, alignment, all that kind of stuff where just basic word processing things, right? And a basic attention to detail um, is kind of one strike. So if there's a collection of those, like, okay, well, there's a strike against that. And then if it is um, particularly boring looking, they didn't really try at all to make it interesting, okay, strike two. And then if I read the content and I decide this person doesn't really know what they're talking about or they're or they've or they've keyword spammed us or they've <laughs> or they've pulled this from somewhere else where they just are basically cribbing someone else's thing or whatever. Essentially if if it if I get the impression that they they're just not a good fit, strike three and then we're done. So I I don't I probably would take I personally I think probably take longer looking at a resume than the average. It's it for me depending on how long it is, of course. Um a few minutes at least, right? 5 minutes, 10 minutes. Um and and I kind of build up that set of strikes in my head. So it's it's it it isn't just because if it's impeccably formatted and it sounds like the person is 
knowledgeable about the thing I'm trying to hire them for, then if it happens to be kind of boring looking, that's fine. I, not everybody is a designer, and I understand that. But if it is poorly spelled and misaligned and it's boring looking and it and it contains content that doesn't make any sense, you know, or it's out. Right. Are you kind of a connoisseur of these documents? Because I remember seeing the the resume that you made one or two jobs ago and it uh-huh. was it was beautiful. And you spent <laughs> you put a lot of work into that thing, right? Yeah. Thank you. I did. Um yeah, so when I uh the the job actually that I have now, um I I had worked on before that when I in my previous job and I was looking for a new one, I I worked kind of to re cuz the thing is, you know, you work at a place for a while and then your your resume goes stale because you don't use it and then you're like, "Oh, I need to look for a new job now. Uh where is that thing? And then how do I, <laughs> you know, how do I update it? And I got to add the new job, the, my most recent job to it and I got to kind of maybe rejigger some stuff." Um so what I did decided to do was I got fed up with a word processing software, so Google Docs, uh, Word, Pages, those, those kinds of things, because they're just so limiting in how what they do. Um, and what I actually did, if you are someone who's kind of design inclined and you would like to do, um, uh, you know, have a little bit more of a pleasing look to your do- to your document, what I did was I actually built mine in Sketch, which Sketch is a really great program. Um, sketchapp.com, I think, is is the website, but we'll put it in the show notes. Uh, and it's a really great um, vector-based drawing program that you can design basically anything. So I, I do it for, use it for like mock-ups, for, for apps and things like that. And you can even use it in kind of a sort of hand-wisted way to do desktop publishing, to basically build a document in it. Um, so I loaded all of the, I grabbed all the text, all the actual text from my, uh, my word-based document um, uh, resume from before and i just pasted it in as as text boxes into sketch and then i kind of aligned it all and grouped it and and came up with a design um and i actually found some inspiration for that on a site called dribble which if you've never been there it's a site for designers showcase all kinds of different things all kinds of different designs so um you know ui mock-ups and icons and and graphics they've built for a magazine article and really just kind of anything uh, and so i actually went on there and typed in resume um and I found some examples that I thought were really cool, and I sort of picked different elements from different ones and kind of came up with my own style um, and then built it and and used that. So uh, that is probably certainly way more work than Brian's ever done on his resume. Yes, that's more work than I've done, I think, lifetime cumulatively, and I'm not a young person. But and it's not and like and like I it's basically negating some of the advice I just gave about it doesn't really matter that much. But for me, I wanted to have something that showcased me as sort of as a creative person and as as an engineer and all that kind of stuff. So I really like the intersection in mobile of design and engineering, Um, you know, with iOS in particular, you have to be very careful about making sure your apps look good and work well and are intuitive and all that kind of stuff in addition to having efficient algorithms behind them. Um, so I I liked, I wanted to showcase that as part of my developer story in my resume and that's why I took all that extra time to make that particular, you know, kind of showcase that particular narrative. But it all depends on what you want. If you're a back-end developer and your thing is all about databases and that kind of stuff, then the best thing for you is going to be nice, concise paragraphs, you know, short descriptions of of products that you've worked on and things that you've built um and the way it looks is just not nearly as important so it just really depends on on what you are interested in as a developer and what you're trying to convey think think about it basically as an ad right think about you're writing an ad 
that they're going to look at for a very short amount of time. So what kind of story do you want to tell? Yeah, I think describing your resume in terms of narratives and uh, what you wanted to do is probably the right way to, to think about that particular document. Because if I were to ask you where that went on the spectrum between an expression of yourself as a craftsman and meeting kind of your own desire to have things that you make be great and beautiful versus things that frankly really make a difference as to whether you get hired or not at a particular place. Where was that resume on that spectrum? Um, I would say it's definitely not one or the other, right? It's in the middle. So um, probably if I were, if I had to gauge it, I would say it's, it's closer to, um, I want it to be beautiful and I want it to be a, a symbol of, of quality because it's a thing that I made and I like things that I make to be, you know, to, to, to work well and to be, you know, um, an interesting creative outlet for me. So it's definitely more towards that, but things like adding, you know, the idea that I got actually from one of the other dribble resumes that I saw as inspiration was this little sort of eh, word cloud ish thing. It's like a list of, of sort of my top skills um, and that is the kind of thing that is, from what I've read, um, about sort of modern resume um, uh, sorting is basically a thing that is is more popular recently because it gives the opportunity for a computer to read those things and then to sort you into a group um, that you know might be more desirable to that employer because they put in, hey, I want someone with X, Y, and Z keywords in there in their resume to, to kind of bubble up to the top. So it's a combination of both. Um, but it certainly, it certainly skews more towards the design because obviously that designing stuff, it doesn't, the computer doesn't care about that. <laughs> yeah. I certainly, I wasn't in the room when people were deciding whether to hire you or not, but I would suspect that it was all the way on the one end of the spectrum on the design and, uh, expression of yourself and that if you had the exact same words in a very dull format, that you would still be hired anywhere you were going anywhere you ended up getting hired because you just have those skills, and that comes right. through even in a, a pretty right. bland kind of document. Right. I mean, if if I were to grade my own resume, if it were, if it was someone else's resume, and I was looking at it to to hire that person, um, I personally would be impressed with the attention to detail on the resume. But as far as the way it looked specifically, I would not probably care that much. Um, but but what I really, really what I wanted to showcase with that was um, that I have an attention to detail, right? That's something that is important as a developer, particularly if you're someone that works with both, you know, the algorithms and also the UI, you want it to, things have to be a particular way. And so if, if you have that kind of eye for looking, seeing the small stuff and making sure that that is also good in addition to the sort of the larger ideas, that's a good thing to show off as a, you know, if that's what you're trying to convey. Again, it all goes back to that kind of story. And even if they're like, they didn't think that consciously, like, oh, Ben's right. resume is very well aligned. Like that means they, like, even, <laughs> if, even if they didn't think that consciously, they look may... at the kerning on here. Yeah, that's not <laughs> a thought anyone ever has. Right. So, um, I mean, maybe if you were a designer getting a design job, they would think that. But but for me, probably not, right? But even if they don't think it consciously, if they think it subconsciously, if they just look at it and go, this is pleasant. Like, in the sea of a million things I've looked at, my eyes don't hurt when I look at this one. That is 
even in a subconscious way, is something that is potentially useful to you. Because again, the differences here are razor thin as far as you versus the next resume, right? Whether they can, whether they keep yours in the short pile or they throw yours away and, and they go to the next one, the differences there are very, very minor, unfortunately, because again, they're just looking at a snack of papers. They don't get to see the person. They don't get to talk to them. Not at this stage anyway. And so anything that you can, for me, I think, anything you can do to try and subtly differentiate yourself is a good thing. But like Brian said, don't shoot for the sun and then fly too close and then, and then crash, right? That's that's the risk that you run by making taking these leaps here is that if it goes against that person's aesthetic or whatever, then they could just dump your resume in the trash and move on. All right. I think that's plenty about resumes. Should we spend a little time talking about uh, applications as a kind of separate process? Right. So that's a whole different animal. Um, if you are a uh, an engineer, right? If you've if you've got some training and maybe you've gone to a computer science program or you've gone to a boot camp or you've just trained on your own, um, and maybe you've got a a career, an existing career in a different industry. I don't know about other industries, but I can tell you about the tech industry at least, that the application process and, and looking at job applications and, and descriptions and then trying to decide whether you want to apply um, and going through that process can be, it's highly varied and it also is kind of infuriating, unfortunately. Um, I would say for me, with I'll talk to, we'll ask Brian here in a second, but for me, for mobile um, engineering, the the gamut of things you're going to see in a job application as far as what that employer wants is just so vast and varied um, and often doesn't even really make internal sense. Like if you read the document as one document and you try and sort of parse it in your head and say, what kind of person are they looking for? Oftentimes, that isn't the thing they're looking for isn't one person because if you look at the summary of all the things they want, you go... This, this person doesn't exist. Like, there's nobody that has this much experience and this wide a selection of things. Um, and in particular, if you're looking at, you know, junior level, entry level jobs, you're like, nobody that has, that's fresh out of school is going to, oh, I happen to have three years of experience in this tech framework and I have another two years at this other thing that's totally unrelated. Um, so it can be very difficult to even start with this. And you, you pull up results and you start clicking through and reading them and you, you can just get very quickly um, kind of run down about and discouraged about yeah why even apply here they clearly don't want me um, but we have some I think we will share some ideas here about how to kind of get over that so is that I would assume is that similar um, in the web world oh sure yeah yeah it's a commonplace I think across all of tech there's sort of a, a joke that job listings will ask for more years of experience in a technology than the technology has existed right right, right. We want eight years of Swift experience. Like, well, good luck with that. Right. <laughs> since the since the it came out in 2014. In, right. <laughs> right. Yeah. So that, and that, I think the the first thing you have to understand about job job descriptions and job kind of postings is that they are frequently written by people who are not well-versed in that tech stack. So maybe it's an HR person or it's, a, you know, one of the VPs or it's who knows, right? It could be really anyone within your organization that's written um, and or approved that application. Um, and so... That is kind of the first thing to realize is that oftentimes this is just a list of keywords and other things that this person's kind of compiled together that they understand to be the job. Um, unfortunately, most of the time, the lead or the team that you will actually be working on has no exposure to or understanding of the job description that was posted for a slot on their team. They they don't even they don't even see it. So. Um, 
those descriptions and and those keywords and stuff are, are just frequently kind of all over the place because they're pulled. I mean, I've I I literally heard from a recruiter once that she was that she I guess made up the job description for this company she was trying to hire for, and that she literally just went on the internet and Googled for words that are relevant <laughs> to this position and just put them in the job description. So, oh, no. you know, it, it does happen. Um, and it's, it's unfortunate, but what you need to try and do is read the thing as a whole and just see if you can get an idea of the gist of what they want. What they're asking for there is a wish list. It is not a list of requirements. Even if it says you must have, and they, and they write six things on there again, it's a wish list. They would like to hire someone that does all these things, but they will almost always hire someone with less. Yeah, it's kind of like a dating sites, if you had any experience with those. The person may say that they're looking for a six-foot-tall supermodel who's a great cook and is making a six-figure salary and blah, blah, blah. But given that those people are not really common, uh, what they'll accept is something different. So there's there's what we would like to have ideally. So we would like to have you be a database expert who knows Oracle, and we also want you to have a whole bunch of experience with mobile development on Android and iOS. Oh, and by the way, if you know React, that'd be great. Um, and we're going to pay you sixty grand, right? And talking about U.S. salaries, right? Uh, that is not a person who exists, <laughs> because if you did find someone that had that varied list of skills and then had the depth of skills of knowledge in each of those areas, they're not going to accept a position at that price because why would they, right? If they really had all of that, they're worth so much more. So again, when you look at this stuff, it's going to feel very discouraging because you're going to be like, well, I just got out of the boot camp or just got out of school or whatever. And, you know, I've got a couple projects to my name. Maybe I threw up an app in the app store, but I don't really have much. Maybe I did a short internship or something, but I just don't have much to go on. Um, and they're going to be like, well, you have to have, if you don't have five years experience, then don't even bother. It's kind of the implication when you see these descriptions. But what we want to tell you is apply anyway, because uh, obviously don't apply for something if it asks for 15 years of experience and you've only got one. Um, that's unlikely to go anywhere. But if basically, if you're looking for an entry level position and you see something that is well, three, we, years. three years, three years is probably the sweet spot. Yeah, I think that's what we told our Iron Nail grads was basically if you see something with three years or less of experience required, apply that's because you. because it's a soft three. Right? Yes, <laughs> yes, it it rounds up to the nearest three. So like if you have right. zero years of experience, you would round that up to three years of experience. Exactly. So yeah, you, you apply anyway um, because the worst thing that can happen is that they well the worst thing that can happen is they do nothing. They don't respond to you at all, which is going to happen a bunch. Um, but the, basically the worst thing that happened is they can say no. Um, but you're definitely not going to get a yes if you don't apply. So if you see something like that, um, just apply anyway and see what happens. Um, and that's kind of when you do that, your resume, your website, your GitHub profile, your LinkedIn, all of the things that kind of are going to make up your digital sort of presence and your, and the narrative you're trying to tell need to be sent along and then they can make up their mind kind of whether or not they think that you are, you know, worth interviewing, even if you don't necessarily meet those, those minimum requirements. And again, they claim to be requirements, but they are often not. They are often just a wish list. Right. In the same way that if you were to sit down and write out what you are looking for in a job, well, maybe you're looking for work with technology that you're 
familiar with, but is also challenging and you like to be able to work from home, but also have coworkers who are really cool, who you enjoy hanging out with, but at the same time, maintain a work-life balance and also make half a million dollars, at least until the company goes public and then you get the real money. And I don't like Monday, so I don't want to work on Monday either. Right. And then, yeah, four day flex time, it would be great. And Obviously, you can tell by thinking about any two of those items that it's kind of a lot to ask for, even though that's what you would really like to find. And the companies, when they're putting together their list of what they would like to see an employee, well, yeah, they would like to see decades of experience in every conceivable technology and someone who has exercised leadership and and is available at, you know, minimum wage plus. Right. But that's that's not realistic for them either. So just know that what they're asking for, even if it doesn't match what you have available, uh, that's not disqualifying. I think the biggest thing we can convey in this whole series that we're going to be we're recovering, kind of getting your first job or your second job, is that um, employers are, believe it or not, employers are in essentially the same boat that you are. In the sense that they have all these wants, they have all these desires, they have all these things that they would be great if this would if this would work out, but they also need to be realistic and understand that probably those people don't exist, and they're going to have to deal with something that is less than ideal for them. and And some of these things are going to be reasonable requests, and some of these things are going to be pie in the sky, like we said. You know, I don't work on Mondays, right? Like, who's going to who's going to give you that? Probably no one. But it'd be nice. But it, but it's also not even that all that reasonable. It's it's on my wish list, but I it's unlikely I will ever get that. Um, so they need to understand that as well, and and oftentimes they do. It's just that they do, for some reason they don't present that in the initial offering, which is these which are these job descriptions, these job postings. They just put there. It's like if you went on your website and you said, "I'm looking for a job. Here's what I want," and you wrote down what Brian said. You wrote down all of the things that you wanted, and you said, "Must have X Y Z." Write all this right. stuff, and you said, "Great. Anybody who wants who." Has has this job please click here to send me an email and i'll happily work for you if we if crickets if only employers that had all those things applied to that you would never get a job right so so you 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 have to you have to be willing to let them you know send you an email and say hey well uh we have this opening and it's not quite all the things that you wanted but like it's got some stuff it's when we're pretty great um check us out by the same token, you're doing this exact same thing on the other side when you are applying to a job. I don't That's have right. 100% of what you need, but I do have you know 70% of what you need or whatever. And also, by the way, I'm a great person and I'm really uh, you know quick learner. And I'm and I, you know, if we're talking about a junior here, I'm really eager and hungry to learn new stuff. Um, and I'm flexible and all those kind of goes you know those good things. Um, so. Don't sell yourself short and think just because I don't have all that stuff on that list, I shouldn't even bother. You should you should be very permissive with the things that you apply to um, because, again, just like I said kind of in the previous one, the overview, where you're casting a really wide net here because you have to um, in order to get – you're going to apply to 100 places and you're going to get – 20 of them are going to maybe 20, 30 of them are going to bother to respond at all. And then 10 of those are going to offer you a phone interview. And then five of those are going to actually, you know, go on to an in-person. And then two of them are going to offer you a job, right? It's, it's, it's the law of averages here and kind of casting a wide net and making sure that you uh, get your name and your story in front of as many employers as possible, because that's what you need to do in order to actually get employed. In particular, if you are a, a junior, because you just don't have that experience necessarily. 
I don't think that's something that you need to do. I enjoy when we disagree with each other on the podcast, or at least I enjoy disagreeing with you. I don't like so much when you disagree with me. <laughs> but I think that's a, a proven strategy is to apply to a bunch of places. But an alternate uh, approach, I think, is to get to know a handful of people in a community and that lets you short circuit this process because then when those people have an, an opening or a need to hire somebody in their teams, instead of giving them the opportunity to kind of daydream about who would be the absolute perfect person to have in this job, who, if I imagine someone who can write 100,000 lines of bug-free code every hour, blah, 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 instead of coming up with the wish list, they'll immediately think of you because they know you and think, oh, you know what, Ben would be good here. I mean, I may have just been setting you up for that whole segue there, but <laughs> because we did mention this last time, right? Short-circuiting is much better than the much thing better. I just described. Um, so yeah, I, I completely agree with you, Brian. I think uh, if you can find a way to avoid all that I just laid out for you, um, do it. Because that other thing does work. It's a lot of work and it and it it, it, it's emotionally it lot, taxing. Too, it's emotionally to, taxing. To it takes a long time. Send all these things out into the ether. Yeah, exactly. So it it and it, it is the thing that I've seen over and over and over again online. Of this is what you have to do to get a job in the tech industry. Um, and I think that is a way to do it. Um, and and I probably wouldn't sit around and wait for the next meetup and say, well, I'm doing the short circuiting thing, and I'm only going to do that. Right? Like <laughs> right. I, you That's shouldn't. True. You you shouldn't. You shouldn't. Neg- you shouldn't. Ev- um, avoid doing those things i think having a resume of some kind having the you know looking actively online for a job through the various places indeed all of the places um and doing what you can to reach out to recruiters and stuff is important but while you're doing that you should also be and this is something we used to tell our students all the time which they they often would ignore us yes. and then because we tell them week one you need to be going to meetups right now you need to, i know you think you're completely clueless which to be fair, maybe you are, you are. Yeah. but but you need to be going to meetups anyway because you're going to be forming these relationships that you'll be using uh, a countless number of times throughout your career. And what better time to start doing that than right now? Um, and tell them. I mean, when you go, tell them, hey, I don't know what I'm doing. Right, I, I just started. I'm in week one mm-hmm. of my boot camp or mm-hmm. whatever, um, and and I'm brand new to this, but I'm just so eager to learn and form you know you know useful, interesting relationships with other people in the industry. Uh, that's going to be invaluable. Um, I've heard that the you know this this old adage that your net worth is your network, um, which I think is a great little way to kind of concisely say that. Um, and uh, it's true. You, you need you need uh, people on link with people on LinkedIn and and go to meetups and and you know if you like a podcast, write into them and 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 give them feedback um, and that kind of stuff. Uh, just build relationships because those are going to be much more valuable to you than, oh boy, here's the 400th application to this place yes. that doesn't know who I am and they're probably going to ignore me. I heard a great story this morning on one of my favorite podcasts, uh, The Art of Product. Ben Orenstein, who's been a developer for several years, uh, has talked in the past about how his first job as a Rails developer, I think it was, came about as a result of going to a meetup and meeting somebody or working on, uh, I think, a hack fest with somebody. And it was a slow burn. I mean, it was months until the position opened and he got the job. But <clears throat> that's how he got into the industry. But uh, today's story was actually about one of his hobbies, which he's in barbershop quartets. Of course. And, <laughs> as one does. And 
he said he got a phone call recently from somebody who has sung with him in the past who said, hey, would you like to be part of Josh Groban's chorus? <laughs> Apparent, apparently when, when Josh Groban, probably other recording artists, when they tour, they don't want to bring a giant number of people to every city, so they right. just grab local talent. Ah. And, and apparently he knew a guy who knew a guy. Uh-huh. And so Ben Ornstein's friend was like in on this and needed to recruit a handful of people to sing. And so called up Ben Ornstein and said, hey, do you want to come do this? And next thing you know, he's at the 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 venue Arena, yeah, yeah the, in in Boston where the Celtics play in front of you know thousands and thousands right, of people and right. and uh, and singing his heart out standing on stage like probably behind, you know slightly off to the side and behind Josh Groban Josh Groban right singing a song that's really cool yeah and not as a result of going in for an audition or right. god forbid having a resume right, right. and <laughs> applying for a process but he right. knew somebody who knew somebody and knew uh People needed his skills and knew him and said, hey, why don't I call Ben? And that's what happened. Yeah, you definitely, what you want to do is you, whether it's a, a resume and uh, a good impression you left with a recruiter or uh, a hiring manager or someone you met at a meetup or whatever, you, what you want is you want basically the next time someone that's in that position comes across an opportunity, you want your name to be the first one that they think of. So you need to do Unfortunately, you need to do everything. You need to have a resume. You need to have a website. You need to you need to apply. You need to talk to recruiters. You need to go to meetups. You need to do basically everything you can to try and and get a job. If you what I'm talking about here is somebody who is pretty much brand new to the industry. This is true kind of regardless, but in particular if you don't have a long list of of accomplishments and experience already as a developer, um, your ability to form relationships is going to be the most important thing. So do all of it. And and something that I think uh, our Susanna, our campus director from the Ironer, used to tell our students all the time, which I think was great advice, is as much f- sort of fervor and interest that you took in the class, you should be doing the same thing once you finish your boot camp and you start looking for a job, we had a lot of students who were understandably exhausted after the class was over and wanted to kind of take a break for a little bit, which I think is fine. Um, but once you kind of get back in, you know, take a couple of days off and you kind of refresh and 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 uh, recharge, you then want to uh, approach this whole thing basically like a full time job, right? What did I do today to to try and get myself employed? Um, and if the answer to that is nothing or i you know i added one line of of text to my resume or i you know whatever then it's it's just probably not enough because like we've been saying this whole time there's there is a lot of competition out there and there are going to be a lot of people applying to things and you need to have a way to differentiate you from everyone else um so not saying you have to kill yourself to do this, but, um, and there are lots of ways that you can kind of work smart, not hard in the sense that things like short circuiting and going to meetups and trying to make relationships, those are kind of a slower burn usually. Um, and they don't have obvious, uh, great outcomes immediately because you you meet someone in the meetup and you go, Hey, this is my deal. Let me find out about what your deal is. And then we kind of share some stories and then we have a great time. We shake hands and we leave. That doesn't mean, Oh, they're going to call me tomorrow and give me a job. That means that the next time they that something comes around, they might think of me. Um, so you can't. I guess my advice is don't rely on any one of these things to get you a job. Your resume, or your applications, or you're talking to recruiters, or you're going to meetups. Not any one of them is probably going to get you a job, um, but some combination of them hopefully will. Right, and so 
Ben said that you kind of have to do everything. It's probably a good idea to do all of these things, but because you have a finite amount of time, it's also worth dividing that time up and not necessarily perfecting any one thing, but think of it as an 80-20 kind of situation where if you have a resume that's pretty good, then stop with the resume and go do something else. If If you have a regular meetup circuit, then... You don't need to continue searching farther and farther until you're going to meetups that are a three-hour drive from your house. Pick a couple that are close by and convenient and get kind of in in the routine of going to those and then think of something else to do. Yeah, that's great. I I think the other thing, too, that especially people who are creative or they're engineers, you know, people who make things, I think it's really easy for us to get trapped in like, if it's not perfect, then I can't yes. release it, right? This this yes. this idea that your your work is never good enough. And that's going to, it's going to unfortunately send to your resume and to your application, you know, the, 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 just the stuff that you put into the form when you're applying and your little cover letter and, and, and all that stuff, you're going to think, well, if this isn't perfect, then I don't want to even release it. Um, but yeah, I think the 8020 rules is excellent, right? It doesn't have to be perfect. As long as it is meeting a minimum standard of an attention to detail, like you don't have glaring mistakes, then believe it or not, you're going to be better than <laughs> in a lot. Because yeah. I've, I've seen a lot of applications and a lot of resumes in my career. And, oh, boy. <laughs> and oh, my goodness. So many of them are just – they don't even meet like your basic third grade reading comprehension level of, of completeness. They're just – you can tell the person just didn't care at all. Um, and to me, if you don't care enough to even write a decent paragraph about yourself on a resume or in a cover letter or spell your name correctly on the application, <laughs> then, then like clearly you were I mean, maybe you would be suited to some jobs, but, but to the job that I'm hiring for, which is, you know, a, some, basically I'm hiring you for your brain. I'm hiring you to think for a living and to, and to craft solutions for me. Um, you're not my person. So there is a minimum level here that we need you, we need you to try and strive for, but um, good enough is definitely good enough. Absolutely. And I think while that uh, podcast episode was not perfect, it was good enough. So I say we, we call it a day there. Very nicely done, sir. Thank you. Where can people uh, find out more about the podcast and pick up old episodes, maybe leave us a review? Yeah, so uh, we have a really great website, mvc.fm, that you can go and check out um, our, our whole archive of, of the episodes we've got. We don't have that many yet, but we're working on it. Um, you can listen right on the web page if you'd like. Um, there's a web player built in. Uh, and also you can get to the, all the show notes that we talk about. So everything we talk about today, if it had a link, we will be sure to put it in this episode show notes. Um, and then it also has a really great page called Subscribe that gives you information about how to actually get our podcast regularly. Um, we're in iTunes and Google Play and pretty much all of the major podcasting apps that exist. Um, we're in them as well. In addition to the website, if you could check out iTunes uh, when you get a chance and rate and review us, that'd be great. It really helps us out. And if you want to send feedback about topics or um, comments that you have, feel free to send us a tweet. Um, we're on Twitter at MVC Podcast. Thanks, everybody. 